Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm Mary Rye. Tim, church member here, if you all didn't know that, you all know that. Um, Tim is still on vacation. Uh, he will be back in the pulpit next Sunday. Yay! Uh, let me call your attention to some announcements in your worship folder, just as reminders. Uh, vacation Bible School starts June the 6th. Uh, and if you are interested in volunteering, please see Katie. Where did she go? She was here a second ago. Katie's back from Africa, y'all, and she's wandering this building someplace. Um, you know, she was in South Africa for the last couple of weeks doing her um, mission thing, and she has returned safe and sound. If you would like to volunteer for Vacation Bible School, please see Katie um, so that the Episcopals and the Presbyterians and the disciples don't get nervous about the Baptists participating in the Bible School. Because we're all doing that together, just in case you were wondering. Uh, Wednesday, June the 8th, is our blood drive. See Jika. Oh, good. She's sitting over there. Um, See Jika, if you would like to donate. Um, and the McCrary County, our extreme build with the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship, is the week of June the 8th through the, I mean the 12th through the 18th. Can we put one more thing in the month of June? Um, I'm not sure. I would like to uh, welcome to our congregation this morning um, uh, women that I'm excited about. Um, first, I am excited to have Summer back directing us. Yay! 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 Um, Thanks, Thanks, Um, I am excited to have my friend Catherine Nathan here. Catherine, Catherine, over here in the black. Um, Catherine is from Mississippi. She's not, she worked in Mississippi. She lives in Memphis. Um, You will see the back of your worship folder. Um, Catherine uh, is a retired um, director of the First Regional Library System headquartered in Hernando, Mississippi. Um, And she is a a member, a ruling elder in the Evergreen Presbyterian Church. She sings in their choir along with the um, Rhodes College Master Singers. So I'm thrilled um, that Catherine has agreed to sing um, for us this morning. She and my best friend in the world next to Jesus, Jeannie Hofackett, is back there. Jeannie from San Francisco, everybody thinks that's her middle name, from San Francisco. Um, They have been here this weekend. We've had great fun. Um, Some of my favorite women, and my sister's here too. So some of my favorite women in the the whole wide world are here this morning. Um, If you wouldn't mind to grab a, uh, that, maroon folder thing and sign it, sign in, Um, give us a record of your attendance, give us as much information as you're comfortable giving us um, to let us know that you have been here this morning, then pass it down the road, we'd be most grateful. Is there anything I'm forgetting? Well, let us stand together as we sing our song of gathering number 22.
Please be seated. Let us pray together. Holy God, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit, we gather this morning first and foremost to thank you for being our God, for loving us beyond measure and without condition. You take care of us when we are too blind, too devastated, too arrogant, or just too dumb to take care of ourselves. You grant us life's pleasures that no money can buy, the beauty of a warm, sunny Sunday in May, a loving company of family and friends, the opportunities daily to serve you by serving each other. Holy God, may we offer the grace and mercy you share with us to a world who is hurting and dark and wondering not only where you are, but if you exist at all. Bless us and then push us to be your hands of healing, your voice of grace, your face of compassion to your children in need. In the name of the Creator God, the risen Christ, the Holy Comforter. Amen.
Bitte. And children and Lisa, come on up. talking today, and the scripture is going to be today from John, um, and we're going to talk about light. Um, and let me ask you all, has anybody ever um, sat outside and maybe took a mirror and played in the sunlight with a mirror? Anybody did that? <laughs> See, now, everybody out here has, okay? <laughs> and, and this was really interesting when I was working on this last night, because um, how many of, of you all have ever played with a flashlight in a dark room? Okay. Now people out here have too. So we were working on this, and it was just interesting that, you know, my husband had never played with a flashlight in a dark room either. So <laughs> what happens when you play with a, for the, since the kids don't know, what happens when you play with a mirror in the sunlight? It reflects the sunlight. Exactly. That's what happens. So, now, I'm going to let um, Sarah, since she knows how this flashlight works, I'm going to let you shine this flashlight. From there, it's fine. Shine it on me first. Now, shine it on the mirror. Now, what happens? And now, what happens? It's you. It hits you. And you. What happens if I turn over here? It doesn't hit you anymore, does it? It's the paper. What if I turn it over? It just hits me, right? Okay, what if I put the paper there? It doesn't hit, does it? Okay, Sarah, you can turn it off now. Thank you. Okay. If the light's going to reflect on you, there are a couple things that had to happen. I had to keep the mirror facing toward the light. If I turned it away, it didn't reflect the light. Um, I had to make sure that nothing came between the light and the mirror. The Bible tells us that there was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came to testify um, as a witness concerning that light so that the light through him and all men uh, would believe in Jesus. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives um, light to every man was coming into the world. Who do you think the true light um, is that the Bible said was coming into the world? That John was testifying about. Who do you think that was? Who was it? Jesus. Yay. Jesus is the light of the world. You and I need to be like John. The Bible says that we are to let our light shine, but we need to remember that our light is Jesus. We are not the light. We are just mirrors that reflect his light. If we are going to reflect the light of Jesus, we must remember a couple of things. We must keep our faces turned toward Jesus, and we must not let anything come between us and Jesus. 
We, uh, when we remember those two things, we will reflect his light to the entire world. Now let's have just a moment of prayer, please. Dear Jesus, we want to reflect your light in the world. Help us to keep our faces turned toward you and help us to keep anything from coming between us and you. Amen. So the scripture this morning comes from the first chapter of John, verses 1 through 18, entitled, The Word Became Flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because He was before me. From His fullness, We have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of the Lord.
Virginia, and obviously I can't step up this morning. <laughs> All right, let us pray. Loving God, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to bring the peace of Christ. We are grateful that you continually teach us through your Spirit. Help us, help our hearts to be so filled with your peace that our congregation will show forth your goodness to the world around us. Let your loving presence be known through our church's ministries. Accept these offerings as a sign of our trust in you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
I have cool friends, don't I? I will admit up front that John is my favorite gospel writer. He tells me what I need to know, and then he takes me by the hand and he says, Okay, here's what I meant by that, or what Jesus is really saying here is this. I love him for that. But why couldn't he have started his gospel like the others? Matthew gives us Jesus' earthly genealogy and then tells the story of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus in a shorthand, just-the-facts-ma'am kind of way. Mark skips the whole birth narrative altogether and jumps right into Jesus' baptism and start of his ministry. Sorry, Brad, I can hardly see you over this light. Luke, as you know, gives us this beautiful poetic narrative of the prophetic fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah. He has this ability to pull us into the lives of those involved, to feel their joy and frustration and to understand their fear in the midst of their faith, to be comforted by angels and to praise and glorify God in the highest with the shepherds. And then there's John. And it all gets so darn complicated. It's hard work studying the scriptures, and anybody who tells you that it isn't is just reading through it and not studying it. Digging around in there and asking the questions and struggling with the truths of, that the Bible offers takes time and energy. And I am grateful for a place like this who not only encourages it, And allows it, but provokes it. So, okay, back to John 1. John begins his gospel in what seems to be a very logical place. He begins at the beginning. And then he spends the rest of his gospel telling us about this Jesus. Showing us his miracles and explaining the parables. Walking us through the the Jesus' last days, making sure that we understand who this is and that we understand his love and passion. But John wants us to understand from the beginning who this Jesus really is. Let me introduce him, John says. The Word began. Well, the Word really never began. The Word has always been since before the beginning. Before creation was, the Word was. As creation has existed, the Word has always been. John is trying to build his case so that his contemporaries, the Jews and the Greeks and the Christians, understand who Jesus is. For the Greeks, the concept of the Word was a way of of gathering things and ordering things. Um, The word was a way to think through things, to ultimately reason stuff out. For the Jews, the word was not so much an expression of thought as a very powerful action. The word was directly connected to deeds and action for the Jews. John needed a concept to 
John needed to connect the presence of the word, the word with a capital W, with reason, orderly nature of God and the act of speaking creation into being. So in doing so, he established the, uh, he was establishing that in the word, word with a capital W, that the word has always been, giving him a title such as the Christ or the Son or the Son of Man just wouldn't convey that concept for John. John wants to be clear that while the Word was with God, the Word was God. But he isn't talking about an Austin Powers, me and little me, God and little God kind of image. He says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This word, the Logos, is eternal, an existence out of the bounds of time in history. You can't trace his lineage to a time or place when he didn't exist. The word was God. There was no beginning. He has always been. So this is when their eyes and our own get a little crossed up in trying to get a handle on this concept, we've always lived in the confines of time. We have never known what it's like to live outside of the bounds of time. We may fantasize about what it's like to go back in time and do things differently or speed time along so we can just get on with it, but time is our reality. I have a clock in every room of my house in my office, in my car, on my wrist, it is a rare point that I don't know what time it is. Even as I wrote this sermon, I was well aware that I have a block of time to fill. If it's too short, some of y'all may be pleased about that, but others of y'all may feel a little short-changed and that I haven't lived up to your expectations. If I go too long... Y'all get antsy and you just stop listening. So we live in the confines of time. But before the creation of time, there was the Word. Okay, we got that. In the beginning, of which there was no such thing, there was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Got it. Great. And then John takes this big old turn. John's writing shifts from second and third person, the word, he, him, to first person plural, we and us. He shifts from observational to confessional, from resume reading to storytelling. The Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Hmm. The Word moved from eternal to temporal, and John moved from an outside observer to a first to one with a firsthand experience. It just became personal. For John. Let me tell you about this 
word in the flesh, says John. Although he will hold you in suspense for 28 verses, John finally names this word in the flesh as Jesus. So just so you don't confuse him with somebody who's ordinary or try to compare him to somebody else, the eternal one has just put on flesh and stepped into the boundaries of time. Now that you know who we're talking about, says John, let me tell you the difference that he has made in this world. We run smack into the flesh, the person of Jesus, full of grace and truth. But the Jews had always lived under the letter of the law, the do's and the don'ts. As long as you follow the letter of the law, do all the do's and avoid all the don'ts, you're in good shape. That mindset has kind of followed us into this 21st century today, hasn't it? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't swear, we're in good shape. When I was in high school, there were three big don'ts. You don't chew gum in class. You don't wear street shoes on the basketball court. And you don't have sex before marriage. Even we as sophisticated, intelligent believers of the 21st century run up against the paradox of the grace and truth, forgiveness and second chances, the mercy and abundant life of Jesus and the do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, and the no margin for error letter of the law. Just when we think we've got it down and we know what to do, Jesus comes along and just blows the whole thing out of the water. And John points at him and says, trust him. Do what he does. Listen to what he says. Because of who he is, you can trust him. But it's hard because we stand face to face with those who revert back to living the letter of the law. In his Nobel lecture given in Oslo, Norway in 2003, former President Jimmy Carter said this, The present era is a challenging and disturbing time for those whose lives are shaped by religious faith based on kindness toward each other. We have been reminded that cruel and inhuman acts can be derived from distorted theological beliefs as suicide bombers take the lives of innocent human beings draped falsely in the cloak of God's will. When the word becomes flesh, it gets personal. My friend Stephanie Kaiser was a, a house leader for Habitat for Humanity in Denver, Colorado. She loved it. But she worked with two other house leaders who continually badgered her for dating a non Christian. He was a, a co worker. Um, but they would tell her that she needed to work on her relation. She needed to work on her relationship with God because if she were walking the straight and narrow, she, she wouldn't be dating a non-Christian. 
They were constantly trying to convince her that she couldn't be a good Christian and date Chris. Stephanie really struggled with them and their need to judge her. They, they told her and they believed they justified their judgment because we Christians, they said, are to judge each other to keep ourselves on the right road. On top of all of that judging going on, Stephanie was trying to convince Chris that um, not all Christians are like that and that he needed to give this Christian thing a try. They would read the Bible together from time to time, a big step for Chris. He was asking the hard questions, and Stephanie was doing a great job of walking him through all of that. But too often, as with him, when the word becomes flesh, it's not full of grace and truth. It's harsh and judgmental. When the word becomes flesh in us, is it full of grace and truth? Do we recognize when we are living out of the letter of the law or out of the love and faithfulness of God? It's certainly easier to see it in somebody else. I know some of you have heard this story, but I think it illustrates my point. For those of you who have not heard it, I was living in Greenville, South Carolina, when my favorite aunt, Aunt Mary, died. Aunt Mary was the woman I was named after, um, and I was to preach her funeral. So I was flying from Greenville into Evansville. Um, as luck would have it, I got the middle seat in that row of three. Um, there was a woman on the aisle side who was about 50. There was a gentleman next to the window who was mid-30s. Um, so once we got in the air, I lowered my tray table and got out my folder of notes and my pad and, and paper and my Bible and to continue to work on the funeral service. The window man looked over and said, personal study? And I said, no, that I was preaching the funeral for my aunt. Oh, so you're a pastor, he said. I said, well, I'm one of them, trying to keep my focus on this funeral service. Well, I think that the only reason God has women preacher, preachers is because there aren't enough men willing to step to the plate to be the spiritual leaders that they're meant to be. Well, needless to say, I wasn't in any mood for a theological discussion on women in ministry, so I just said, really? What do you do? Now, I don't remember what he said, but it wasn't pastor or minister of anything. I still think that if men would take seriously their job as the spiritual leader of the family, then God wouldn't need to use you women. Well, here's my take on that. I said, I believe God created me with some pretty cool gifts and abilities because God knew how this thing was going to come out. And I don't believe for a second that God called me to serve as a minister because God ran out of men who would step to the plate and, find, and he finally had to resort for, to calling in women as second string. Conversation pretty much ended there. Um, I went back to working on Aunt Mary's funeral service. But as we were exiting the plane, the woman on the aisle seat who had not said a word 
the entire flight, turned to me and said, I'm sorry to hear about your aunt. And the word became flesh, full of grace and truth. James tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only who deceive themselves. That's where the word becomes flesh. John keeps telling us, trust Jesus. Listen to what he says. Do what he does. You know who he is. In that same Nobel lecture, President Carter said, when I was a young boy in Plains, Georgia, a beloved teacher, Miss Julia Coleman, introduced me to Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. She interpreted that powerful narrative as a reminder that simple human attributes of goodness and truth can overcome great power. She also taught us that an individual is not swept along the tide of inevitability but can influence even the greatest human events. When our flesh reflects the word of God, thank you, Lisa, the gospel good news of Jesus Christ, the world has to be different. God's grace and truth, God's love and forgiveness are so incredibly powerful that it can't help but change things, to change lives. If you have seen the movie Pay It Forward, it's about an elementary social studies teacher who challenges his class for a project for extra credit. The project is to find something that could change the world. One of his seventh grade students took him seriously. He decided that if one person did something significant in the lives of three other people, and then instead of paying him back, they paid it forward and did something significant in the lives of three other people, then the world could be changed. For me, this movie illustrates the power of what it means for the word to become flesh. It's not about judgment or scorekeeping. It's about grace and forgiveness and acceptance and the love of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. May it be so. Amen. I stole this paragraph from a preacher, I'll admit, right up front. But I think it sounds like us. So I say this to those of you who may be looking for a church to be a part of or looking for a relationship with the one we follow, Jesus the Christ. I say this. This is the perfect church for imperfect people. It matters not where you came from or where you're going, the color of your skin or the content of your heart, your sexual orientation or your marital status, whether or not you went to Yale or just got out of jail. We are all welcome in this place.
of our brothers. 